Chapter Four of Russian Fairy Tales by William Ralston Shedden Ralston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. Part Four. We will take next a story which is a great favorite in Russia, and which will serve as another illustration of the use made of magical properties in the Skazkas. Emelian the Fool. There were once three brothers, of whom two were sharp-witted, but the third was a fool. The elder brothers set off to sell their goods in the towns down the river, and said to the fool, "'Now mind you, fool, obey our wives, and pay them respect, as if they were your own mothers. We'll buy you red boots, and a red caftan, and a red shirt.' The fool said to them, "'Very good, I will pay them respect.' They gave the fool the orders and went away to downstream towns, but the fool stretched himself on top of the stove and remained lying there. His brother's wives said to him, "'What? What are you about, fool? Your brothers ordered you to pay us respect, and in return that each of them was going to bring you a present. But there you lie on the stove and don't do a bit of work. Go and fetch some water, at all events.' The fool took a couple of pails and went to fetch the water. As he scooped it up, a pike happened to get into his pail, says the fool. Glory to God! Now I will cook this pike and will eat it all myself. I won't give a bit of it to my sisters-in-law. I am savage with them. The pike says to him in a human voice, Don't eat me, fool. If you put me back again into the water, you shall have good luck, do, says the fool. What sort of good luck shall I get from you? Why, this sort of good luck. Whatever you say, that shall be done. Say, for instance, by the pike's command, at my request, go home, ye pails, and be set in your places. As soon as the fool had said this, the pails immediately went home of their own accord and became set in their places. The sisters-in-law looked and wondered. "'What sort of fool is this?' they say. "'Why, he's so knowing, you see, that his pails have come home and have gone to their places of their own accord.' The fool came back and lay down on the stove. Again did his brother's wives begin saying to him, "'What are you lying on the stove for, fool? There's no wood for the fire. Go and fetch some.' The fool took two axes and got into a sledge but without harnessing a horse to it. "'By the pike's command,' he says, "'at my request, drive into the forest, O sledge.' Away went the sledge at a rattling pace, as if urged on by someone. The fool had to pass by a town, and the people he met were jammed into corners by his horseless sledge in a way that was perfectly awful. They all began crying out, "'Stop him! Touch him!' But they couldn't lay hands on him. The fool drove into the forest, got out of the sledge, sat down on a log, and said, "'One of you axes fell the trees, while the other cuts them up into billets.' Well, the firewood was cut up and piled on the sledge. Then says the fool, "'Now then, one of you axes, go and cut me a cudgel, as heavy a one as I can lift.' The axe went and cut him a cudgel, and the cudgel came and lay on top of the load. The fool took his seat and drove off, 
he drove by the town but the townspeople had met together and had been looking out for him for ever so long so they stopped the fool and laid hands upon him and began pulling him about says the fool by the pike's command at my request go o cudgel and bestir thyself out jumped the cudgel and took to thumping and smashing and knocked over ever such a lot of people there they lay on the ground strewed about like so many sheaves of corn the fool got clear of them and drove home heaped up the wood and then lay down on the stove meanwhile the townspeople got up a petition against him and denounced him to the king saying folks say there's no getting hold of him the way we tried we must entice him by cunning and the best way of all will be to promise him a red shirt and a red caftan and red boots so the king's runners came for the fool go to the king they say he will give you red boots a red caftan and a red shirt well the fool said by the pike's command at my request do thou o stove go to the king he was seated on the stove at the time the stove went the fool arrived at the king's the king was going to put him to death but he had a daughter and she took a tremendous liking to the fool so she began begging her father to give her in marriage to the fool her father flew into a passion he had them married and then ordered them both to be placed in a tub and the tub to be tarred over and thrown into the water all which was done long did the tub float about the sea his wife began to beseech the fool do something to get us cast on shore by the pike's command at my request said the fool cast this tub ashore and tear it open he and his wife stepped out of the tub then she began imploring him to build some sort of a house the fool said by the pike's command at my request let a marble palace be built and let it stand immediately opposite the king's palace this was all done in an instant in the morning the king saw the new palace and sent to inquire who it was that lived in it as soon as he learnt that his daughter lived there that very minute he summoned her and her husband they came the king pardoned them and they all began living together and flourishing the pike observes afanasiev is a fish of great repute in northern mythology one of the old russian songs still sung at christmas tells how a pike comes from novgorod its scales of silver and gold its back woven with pearls a costly diamond gleaming in its head instead of eyes and this song is one which promises wealth a fact connecting the russian fish with that scandinavian pike which was a shape assumed by andvari the dwarf guardian of the famous treasure from which sprang the woes encountered in the vulsunga saga and the nibelungenlied according to lithuanian tradition there is a certain lake which is ruled by the monstrous pike strukis it sleeps only once a year and then only for a single hour it used always to sleep on st john's night but a fisherman once took advantage of its slumber to catch a quantity of its scaly subjects strukis awoke in time to upset the fisherman's boat but fearing a repetition of the attempt it now changes each year the hour of its annual sleep a gigantic pike also figures in the Kalevala. It would be easy to fill with similar stories not only a section of a chapter, but a whole volume. 
but instead of quoting any more of them i will take a few specimens from a different though somewhat kindred group of tales those which relate to the magic powers supposed to be wielded in modern times by dealers in the black art such narratives as these are to be found in every land but russia is specially rich with them the faith of the peasantry in the existence of witches and wizards turnskins and vampires not having been as yet seriously shaken some of the stories relating to the supernatural witch who evidently belongs to the demon world have already been given in those which i am about to quote the wizard or witch who is mentioned is a human being but one who has made a compact with evil spirits and has thereby become endowed with strange powers such monsters as these are throughout their lives a terror to the district they inhabit nor does their evil influence die with them for after they have been laid in the earth they assume their direst aspect and as vampires bent on blood night after night they go forth from their graves to destroy as i have elsewhere given some account of slavonic beliefs in witchcraft i will do little more present than allow the stories to speak for themselves they will be recognized as being akin to the tales about sorcery current farther west but they are of a more savage nature the rustic warlocks and witches of whom we are accustomed to hear have little if any of that thirst for blood which so unfavorably characterizes their slavonic counterparts here is a story by way of example of a most gloomy nature the witch girl late one evening a cossack rode into a village pulled up at its last cottage and cried hey master will you let me spend the night here come in if you don't fear death what sort of a reply is that thought the cossack as he put his horse up in the stable and after he had given it its food he went into the cottage there he saw its inmates men and women and little children all sobbing and crying and praying to god and when they had done praying they began putting on clean shirts what are you crying about asked the cossack why you see replied the master of the house in our village death goes about at night into whatsoever cottage she looks there next morning one has to put all the people who lived in it into coffins and carry them off to the graveyard to-night it's our turn never fear master without god's will no pig gets its fill the people of the house lay down to sleep but the cossack was on the lookout and never closed an eye exactly at midnight the window opened at the window appeared a witch all in white she took a sprinkler passed her arm into the cottage and was just on the point of sprinkling when the cossack suddenly gave his sabre a sweep and cut her arm off close to the shoulder the witch howled squealed yelped like a dog and fled away but the cossack picked up the severed arm hid it under his cloak washed away the stains of blood and lay down to sleep next morning the master and mistress awoke and saw that every one without a single exception was alive and well and they were delighted beyond expression if you like says the cossack i'll show you death 
Call together the Sotniks and Dysyatniks as quickly as possible, and let's go through the village and look for her. Straightway all the Sotniks and Dysyatniks came together and went from house to house. In this one there's nothing, in that one there's nothing, until at last they come to the Ponomar's cottage. Is all your family present? asked the Cossack. No, my own. One of my daughters is ill. She's lying on the stove there. The Cossack looked toward the stove. One of the girl's arms had evidently been cut off. Thereupon he told the whole story of what had taken place, and he brought out and showed the arm which had been cut off. The commune rewarded the Cossack with a sum of money and ordered that witch to be drowned. Stories of this kind are common in all lands, but the witches about whom they are told generally assume the forms of beasts of prey, especially of wolves or of cats. A long string of similar tales will be found in Dr. Wilhelm Hertz's excellent and exhaustive monograph on werewolves. Very important also is a Polish story told by Wojcicki of the village which is attacked by the plague embodied in the form of a woman who roams from house to house in search of victims one night as she goes her rounds all doors and windows have been barred against her except one casement this has been left open by a nobleman who is ready to sacrifice himself for the sake of others the pest maiden arrives and thrusts her arm in at his window the nobleman cuts it off and so rids the village of its fatal visitor in an Indian story a hero undertakes to watch beside the couch of a haunted princess. When all is still, a Rakshasa appears on the threshold, opens the door, and thrusts into the room her arm, which the hero cuts off. The fiend disappears howling and leaves his arm behind. The horror of the next story is somewhat mitigated by a slight infusion of the grotesque, but this may arise from a mere accident and be due to the exceptional cheerfulness of some link in the chain of its narrators. THE HEADLESS PRINCESS In a certain country there lived a king, and this king had a daughter who was an enchantress. Near the royal palace there dwelt a priest, and the priest had a boy of ten years old, who went every day to an old woman to learn reading and writing. Now it happened one day that he came away from his lessons late in the evening, and as he passed by the palace he looked in at one of the windows. At that window the princess happened to be sitting and dressing herself. She took off her head, lathered it with soap, washed it with clean water, combed its hair, plaited its long back braid, and then put it back again in its proper place. The boy was lost in wonder. "'What a clever creature!' thinks he. "'A downright witch!' And when he got home he began telling everyone how he had seen the princess without her head. All of a sudden the king's daughter fell grievously ill, and she sent for her father and strictly enjoined him, saying, "'If I die, make the priest's son read the psalter over me three nights running.' The princess died and they placed her in a coffin and carried it to the church. Then the king summoned the priest and said, "'Have you got a son?' "'I have, your majesty.' "'Well, then,' said the king, "'let him read the psalter over my daughter three nights running.' The priest returned home and told his son to get ready. In the morning the priest's son went to his lessons, 
and sat over his books looking ever so gloomy what are you unhappy about asked the old woman how can i help being unhappy when i'm utterly done for why what's the matter speak out plainly well then granny i've got to read psalms over the princess and do you know she's a witch i knew that before you did but don't be frightened there's a knife for you when you go into the church trace a circle around you and then read from the psalter and don't look behind you whatever happens there whatever horrors may appear mind your own business and go on reading reading but if you look behind you it will be all over with you in the evening the boy went to the church traced a circle round him with the knife and betook himself to the psalter twelve o'clock struck the lid of the coffin flew up the princess arose leapt out and cried now i will teach you to go peeping through my windows and telling people what you saw she began rushing at the priest's son but she couldn't anyhow break into the circle then she began to conjure up all sorts of horrors but in spite of what she did he went on reading and reading and never gave a look round and at daybreak the princess rushed at her coffin and tumbled into it at full length all of a heap the next night everything went on just the same the priest's son wasn't a bit afraid went on reading without a stop up to daybreak in the morning went to the old woman she asked him well have you seen horrors yes granny it will still be more horrible this time here's a hammer for you and four nails knock them into the four corners of the coffin and when you began reading the psalter stick up the hammer in front of you in the evening the priest's son went to the church and did everything just as the old woman had told him twelve o'clock struck the coffin lid fell to the ground the princess jumped up and began tearing from side to side and threatening the youth then she conjured up horrors this time worse than before it seemed to him as if a fire had broken out in the church all the walls were wrapped in flames but he held his ground and went on reading never once looking behind him just before daybreak the princess rushed to her coffin then the fire seemed to go out immediately and all the deviltry vanished in the morning the king came to the church and saw that the coffin was open and in the coffin lay the princess face downwards what's the meaning of all this says he the lad told him everything that had taken place then the king gave orders that an aspen stake should be driven into his daughter's breast and that her body should be thrust into a hole in the ground but he rewarded the priest's son with a heap of money and various lands end of part four recording by kevin davidson www.blogordie.com